Christ is risen. This morning we have appointed for us the gospel of the paralytic as we encounter it in the gospel of John. A man sits waiting for the waters to be touched, to be stirred, to be healed as others before him had been healed. Can you imagine what it's like to sit and wait for years and years and years to see others around you be healed, to see others around you be restored, to see others around you return to a form of life that you wish that you had. I'd like to talk this morning about paralysis and poetry. So in some ways you could also subtitle this sermon now for something completely different than anything that we have been talking about or absorbing ourselves with from the news cycle. I'm, it's on purpose. <laughs> we all experience in some form paralysis, the inability to move, some form of experience in our life where we're not fully alive, where we can't do what we would like to be able to do. And I want us to think about paralysis as something much bigger than just kind of uh, sin as something, uh, there's a virtue that I can uh, attain possibly, and then there's a vice that besets me. And this is what we're talking about with paralysis, a kind of a moral line here. Paralysis and the life that we experience uh, is something deeper than that. Uh, some of the words that I think, especially for this age and especially for the generation that is maturing at this time, it's something deeper than just a kind of struggle between doing the good and the evil or the sin that besets us. This is here, but it's much deeper, broader might use words like there's a malaise, ennui to use the French, a kind of, uh, if you want to say probably the way that we would typically say it, depression, some kind of just ugh, <laughs> that just is a fog that many of us just kind of float through, paralyzed. We would like to do good, we would like to see our lives, and maybe we even... Uh, obsessed with how can we make our lives be fuller how can, and trust me there's somebody who will sell you something in order to give you the promise of lifting that fog for a moment when i was a child i remember trying to read scripture and i would read i remember specifically in my early teens i took the book of romans and i read it uh, slowly, chapter by chapter, and then I reread it slowly, chapter by chapter. And after a few readings, I came away with saying, I have no idea what these words mean. <laughs> I, there, they talk, Paul talks about faith. Paul talks about sin. Paul talks about this body of death. He talks about all of these things. And yet, it seems like what... I didn't have, so I had some vocabulary, right? And most of us have this kind of Christian vocabulary that we have sin or we have uh, 
when we read the gospel, we say, see, I'm the paralytic, I'm sinful, I'm unable to do good, and Christ has to heal me. On one level, absolutely correct. On another level, the gospel can operate to take us into depth of experience uh, that we have not yet encountered. When I was a child and I read scripture, I didn't understand. I got little snippets here or there. I knew Jesus is good and Savior. Uh, I knew there's something bad. And I'm trying, I'm like, what's this faith thing? I think it has something to do with believing. But the way that Paul talks about it, it seems to be more than that. And so you can see here when we encounter reality, we may know a vocabulary about it, but our experience is just this thin. And our walk with Christ can sometimes feel like that. We can use some, I'll say, churchy words, uh, and we can kind of uh, reflect upon how bad we are in some sense, as some of us, well, strike that, not some of us, all of us are broken. All of us have a paralysis or a struggle. St. Porphyrios, a Greek elder and saint of this past century, and one of my favorites of this past century, he says that for a person to become a Christian, he must have a poetic soul, he must become a poet. Christ does not wish insensitive souls in his company. A Christian, albeit only when he loves, is a poet and lives amid poetry. Poetic hearts embrace love and sense it deeply. I think Porphyrus is starting to point at what I am fumbling with words to describe. A life in Christ is something deeper than a scattering of words and maybe feelings uh, here and there. It is something deeper. It is something that requires uh, us to think about our paralysis as a broader, deeper problem. And I want us to at least try to outline a possible way to address this malaise, this paralysis, by taking Elder Porphyrus's point of a Christian have, must have, should have a poetic soul. A soul that when it loves, lives amid poetry. And so I'm going to make a lateral move and I'm going to draw upon a favorite uh, author and poet of this time. I don't know if I've ever actually read a poem in a sermon, but there's always a time for a first. And actually... I thought ahead, so if you're watching on YouTube, or you're watching on Facebook, there should be somewhere in the comments or in the YouTube in the description a link to the poem, uh, so you can at least read it, because uh, at least it's first time listen to it, though. This is How to Be a Poet by Wendell Berry, and it starts off as a kind of, um, well, it starts off and it says in parentheses, to remind myself. Make a place to sit down. Sit down, be quiet. You must depend upon affection, reading, knowledge, skill, more of each than you have. Inspiration, work, growing older, patience, 
for patience joins time to eternity. Any readers who like your poems doubt their judgment. Breathe with unconditional breath, breath, the unconditioned air. Shun electric wire. Communicate slowly. Live a three-dimensional life. Stay away from screens. Sorry. <laughs> Stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it. Of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers prayed back to the one who prays, make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. I encourage you to be able to sit down with this poem at some point in this week and to reflect upon what this can uh, encourage us or inform our Christian life. As Elder Porfirios tells us, we are to develop a poetic soul if we are to be a Christian. So I want each stanza I want to draw a point from. The first stanza of Wendell Berry's How to Be a Poet instructs us in all of the attitudes, the skills, the things that we need in order to write a poem. We need affection. By affection, we need our hearts turned to the world and attuned to all the depth of the world. We need to read. We need to grow in knowledge and skill. And as he reminds us, we need more of this than each of us actually has. We need inspiration. We need to work. We need to grow old. We need patience. For patience joins time to eternity. Part of our paralysis, I think, in our lives now is that many of us are fascinatingly uh, impatient. We are so used to things coming to us quickly. I can order a sandwich from Jimmy John's on my app, and it can be at my house in about 15 minutes, even though it would probably take me the same amount of time to get in my car and drive down to Jimmy John's and get a sandwich. But I'd rather sit in front of a screen and order my sandwich. Patience, as Wendell tells us, joins time to eternity. As we develop in our life in Christ, we need to develop an ability to patiently encounter the world. Not as it's mediated to us, not as uh, sensational news, not as distraction through whatever we can find to distract us, but we need patience so that we can redeem the time, so that we, I love the way he puts this, that we join the time that we have and actually the eternal, eternity can shine through it. The second stanza, he encourages us 
as if you know anything about Wendell Berry, uh, you know that he will especially encourage us to shun the electric wire and everything attached to the electric wire. But I want us to think a little bit about what it means to live a three-dimensional life. We talked about patience and patience in encountering the world. But as Wendell puts it, stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. If you like poetry, or if you at least have some appreciation for poetry and would not call yourself uh, a connoisseur of poetry, you know there's something about poetry, when you hear poetry, that suddenly it's like a magnifying glass to reality, right? It uh, allows you to see details. It's taking a moment and allowing, as we rush through life, things to actually have depth around us. We need to stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. We need to actually sit with things as they are to understand them, to know where they are. And that knowing where they are means how they relate to everything else around us. One of the um, great things about small motors, I'm sure you weren't expecting small motors to come up, uh, is that they're a real pain to fix. This, uh, as the grass grew and I tried to fix a lawnmower a few times, I just threw up my hands and I went and I bought uh, one of those, uh, as you propel along the ground, basically it's like scissors uh, that you just push. So there's no small motor attached to it besides muscle. Do you know how much more aware I am of my yard now? <laughs> that I'm not running over it with... And, and also kind of reacting to the fumes blowing into my face. That these simple practices of being able to live a three-dimensional life, they help inform uh, what it is for us to be a Christian. The third stanza, I think you can probably deduce, is going to be about silence. As we rush, as we distract, as we feel paralysis, for even as we have this desire within us, and I know, because I've heard you all, and I know I hear my own heart, I desire something more, and I usually replace it with something so much less. And one of those things especially is noise, 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 noise. We need silence. We need to make the best of it. We need to hear and discern in the silence. And then we need to act, as Wendell tells us, in a way that does not disturb the silence from which we've heard a word. There are words in the elders uh, about experiences about how we relate to the world, how even opening a door or entering into a room can become a spiritual discipline, a way of embracing and hearing the silence, the depth that is behind everything. Now, you might be wondering, okay, Father Daniel, it seems like you've prepared me to maybe be poetic, <laughs> maybe to pin a few words, to feel 
connected with the world. What does this have to do with God? St. Porphyrios tells us, Take delight in all things that surround us. All things teach us and lead us to God. All things around us are droplets of the love of God, both things animate and inanimate, the plants and the animals, the birds and the mountains, the sea and the sunset and the starry sky. They are little loves through which we attain to the great love that is Christ. Flowers, for example, have their own grace. They teach us with their fragrance and with their magnificence. They speak to us of the love of God. They scatter their fragrance and their beauty on sinners and on the righteous. Brothers and sisters, to develop a poetic soul, to hear St. Porphyrios, to hear the advice of Wendell Berry on how to be a poet, to remind ourselves of what it is to live an abundant life beyond just morals, be to a world that is three-dimensional, to attend in patience to the growth and the skills that we need to attain, but to do it patiently, to listen to the silence, to see that all things in all of their depth are ultimately connected to God. And that as we create a way forward for ourselves, as God comes to our souls, as he wakes us from our paralysis, let us rejoice in all things, all the droplets of the love of God, that we may attain to the great love that is Jesus Christ. Christ has risen. Indeed, he is risen.